Amen. You know, um, uh, I'm grateful that my husband allows me to share the word, you know, and he allows me to step into what he believes I am called to. And um, you need to know sometimes, um, I mean, he trusts me and everything, but he also knows this, that I'm not quite as, I mean, Jerry types out his notes and on, huh? Well, it looks like you do. It looks like you do. He is a man of order. He is a man of order. His shop is in order. His sock drawer is in order. His, my spice cabinet is in order because he gets in it. You know, he is a man of order. And sometimes I'm a little bit more like, phew, phew, phew. I do things like, okay, praise and worship team, we're going to play prophetically tonight. <laughs> you know, that's me, okay? And um, so, you know, they say opposites attract, and we never thought we were opposite, but I'm starting to wonder now a little bit <laughs> on some things that maybe we are, and, you know, my dirty clothes end up in a pile in the closet, and his end up in the laundry hamper every time, you know? So, anyway, I'm grateful that that being said of how I can be a little bit, phew, 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 he still lets me minister. That's what the bottom line was of that. Hallelujah. So praise the Lord. Thank you for the word, God. Let it do what you intended to do. Let it do what you want it to do. Let us hear what you want us to hear. Let me say what you want me to say. Let today be a union with heaven that we'll never forget. And we give you the praise and we give you the thanks, Father. We look to you as you are our God. There is no other in our life. There is nothing else in our heart that we choose to obey and serve other than you. And we give you praise and we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're just going to establish some groundwork here. And then um, we're going to move into some things I know the Spirit of the Lord really wants us to talk about. 1 Samuel 16. This is in the moment when Samuel is getting ready to anoint a new king. He's getting ready to anoint a new king. And the Lord has given him command of which household to go to. And he's looking for the one to anoint king. And the Lord says to Samuel, who is the prophet that's called to do the anointing, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. He was ready to anoint some of it, look perfect for the job. He said, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now I want you to notice here, it says, the Lord looks at the heart he looks at the heart and the thought that if God looks at the heart he's countering that with the Lord does not look on the outward the Lord does not look on the outward somebody needs to say praise the Lord praise the Lord. Lord doesn't look on the outward the Lord is looking at the heart he's inspecting perceiving considering and seeing you according to your heart. Now, that word heart, Pastor has shared it many times with us. It is the center of control of our life. It is the core of our being. It is literally the inner man. But I want you to see, as it being the seat of control, the word tells us also in the uh, concordance that it is the seat of your appetite, it's the seat of your emotions and passions. It's the seat of your courage, your will, your determination. All of that is in your heart. So we can say this. God's not looking at my outward appearance. He's looking at the seat of my appetites. He's looking at the seat of my emotions and passions. He's looking at the seat of my courage. He's looking at the place of my determination and will. God is looking on the inside of me and he's measuring by the inside of me, not by how I look outwardly. And he's looking at where are your emotions? Where is your appetites? Where are your passions? 
Where is your courage? Where is your determination? Where is your will? Because that's what God is looking at. He's looking at this inward person. He's looking on the inside of me, not on the outside. Hallelujah. Let's go to Jeremiah 17 then, um, beginning in verse 9. It says this though, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That don't sound very good. It's one of those spontaneous things we'll get through, okay? All right, next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to the ways, his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Now, let's go back to verse 9 here. He said the heart is deceitful above all things, meaning this place and this seat of control of my appetites, emotions, passions, courage, will, and determination has the ability to mislead. The heart has the ability to mislead. We learned early in ministry to never tell somebody, well, just go do what's in your heart. Because we found out every's heart wasn't like our heart. Right? The heart has the ability to mislead. The heart has the ability to have a wrong appetite, to have a wrong emotion, to have a wrong passion, to be discouraged, to have only self-will and not God-will, to be determined for wrong things. The heart has that potential. And the heart can take you into following ways that lead to death. Because that word desperately wicked means down to the places of death. Your heart has the ability to lead you down roads of destruction. Your heart has the ability and the potential to lead you in places that are not godly. Your heart has the ability to lead you into places that were satanically devised and not God-led. Let's think on that for a moment. Because the next verse says, in verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I'm searching the inner man. And he says, I test the mind. Does anybody in here have an old King James Version Bible that they're using? Not very many people do. But this, this line, I test the mind, literally means I try the reins. I try the reins. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go. Okay. <laughs> I try the reins. And, you know, when, when I was a kid, now, you cowboys just plug your ears for a moment because we were just cowboy wannabes. We had a whole lot of hogs and one horse, okay? Anyway, so when he said, I try the reins, when we were kids and we were, had our horse, the, we had one disobedient horse. We had to put a bit in its mouth because it didn't like to do what we wanted it to do. But hopefully we could get it to be trained without a bit. And then when you got it rain trained, just the, just the movement on the neck of the horse would move that horse any direction I want to go. Are we, am I okay? Okay, I'm okay, horse people. All right. Um, and so, but what it was when they were trying the reins, it was, it was like you're testing who's in charge. Who's in charge? And the Lord says, I'm searching the inner heart, the inner man, and I try the reins. I'm looking on the inside of you to find out who's in charge of you. Who's in charge of you? He's doing this all by looking at the inner man. And then he's going to give every man according to his ways and the fruit of his doings because those things are determined by who's in control. If God's in control, your ways are right. If you're in control, your heart may be leading you wrong. And the fruit of his doings, if God's in control, your doings will be right. 
Amen? All right. Going to the next verse. Matthew 15. We're blazing, aren't we? I'm doing like Pastor Jerry and sticking to this thing. Matthew 15 says, For out of the heart, out of the inner man, this is why it can be deceptive for you, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Where does adultery, murder, a evil thought, fornication, stealing, lying, blasphemy, where does it come from? It comes from the heart. It comes from the inner man. Well, I thought once we were saved, everything in our heart was right. Not according to this. This is saying if there's any evil doing, it's come out of the heart. It's come out of the inner man. It's come out of that part that God is intently looking at. It's come out of the seat of the appetite, the seat of the emotion, the seat of the passion. It's come out of the seat of the will, the courage, the determination. All this stuff is coming out that way. It's coming out. It's proceeding. It, the behavior is coming out of the heart. So we under, need to understand this, that your heart is a container that holds things. So we know that the heart is the control center. We know that that control center can be aligned or misaligned with God. But we also need to understand that that control center is a container and it holds things. And then what we need to understand that that container is constantly being filled and emptied, filled and emptied, filled and emptied. Your heart is consistently being filled and then poured out, filled and then poured out. Go to Matthew chapter 12, filled and then poured out. It says here in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Pastor has shared with us many times that that good man out of the good treasure means a good man out of a good deposit brings forth good things. So he's, uh, we need to understand that a good man is not the one that brings out just the good things, but a good man starts with depositing good things. A good man deposits good things in the container of his heart so later on he has good things to bring out. An evil man will deposit evil things in his heart and later on all he's got is evil things to bring out. Okay? A good man will never deposit evil things. An evil man will never deposit good things. Okay? And in this passage of scripture, he's talking about the words of your mouth. And he's saying, a man that has deposited evil things will bring out evil things, making the man evil. A, another man, if he'll deposit good things, He'll have good things to bring out, making that man good. Amen? So we need to understand this. We have personal responsibility of what we put in the container of our heart. We have personal responsibility of what we put in, what we deposit in, what we put in as treasure in our heart. We determine. Have you ever wondered sometimes you're going along in life and something comes out of you and think, why did I say that? Well, it's because you put it in there. Why, why did that come up? Why am I having these thoughts of taking out some people in Washington, D.C.? Because you put that in. Do you understand what I mean? You put that in, that's what comes out. You know, why? 
why would you like to do this and this and this and this to the teller at the bank when they tell you to put the mask on? Because that's what you put in, that's what's going to come out, right? We have to guard and protect what we put in so that what we have to draw out is good and is not murder, theft, adultery, fornication, and evil thoughts, right? Okay. Hallelujah. So what we need to understand is the deposit in must change before the things I pull out change and I am changed. So if I can change what I put in, it'll change what I draw out and then my character will change and my reputation will change. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. Are you following? Are you with me? Does it sound like I'm going kind of going to go? Okay. All right. For it says here, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Next verse. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Go back to the verse 20. It says that our heart can condemn us. Our heart condemns us, but God is greater than our heart and knows all things. What he's saying there is your heart can condemn you, but God is bigger than your heart and able to get you out of condemnation, okay? Our heart condemns us. The reason our heart condemns us is because we are a good man, aware of good things, aware of what a good deposit is, and we're trying to jam into our container an evil thing. We're trying to jam into our heart, and something doesn't fit in there right but we're trying to put it in there and then we go and act on that one evil thing that we jammed into our heart and it creates an evil pull out and then we're all beat up because how can I do that? Well, you put it in there, you pulled it out and now my heart condemns me. And it says, but God's greater than your heart and he knows all things, even how to fix that heart. And he wants us to get back on the path that what we ask of him, we receive because our heart doesn't condemn us. But then if we look at the last verse, it says, because we've kept those commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Condemnation comes when we don't keep his commandments and when there is a pull out of something in our heart that we know is not pleasing to him. Anytime we pull something out of our heart that's not pleasing to him, condemnation comes. And so what we have to do is we have to fall at the feet of Jesus. And he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. So we have to understand that the only one that can fix our heart is God the only one that can fix it all right so let's go over to Proverbs chapter 4 hallelujah Proverbs chapter 4 says this keep your heart old King James says guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life guard your heart Guard your inner man. Guard your appetites. Guard your emotions. Guard your passions. Guard your courage. Guard your will. Guard your determination. Because out of it spring the issues of life. I'm going to go to some other versions here. Do we have those other versions? The Amplified Classic. I want to read this one to you first. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. Think about this. He's saying 
all the matters you have in life, the most important thing for you to do is guard your heart. Watch over your container. Watch over it. For out of it flow the springs of life. So above all else that you guard, guard your heart. Above guarding your kids, guard your heart. Above guarding your money, guard your heart. Above guarding your house, guard your heart. Above guarding your marriage, guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence above anything else that you guard. Because your money is not where your life springs from. Your children is not where your life springs from. Your marriage is not where life springs from. Your house is not where life springs from. Your life is springing up out of your heart because your heart is a container that's determining what you're going to be able to pull up and out. Amen? Let's go to you have the message translation there. It says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. That's where life starts. Your life starts in your heart. Your life starts in your heart. I just want to read this to you. This is Young's literal translation of this in Proverbs 4. Now, the literal translation means they have not paraphrased it based on an old King James or another version. This is literally transcribing from Hebrew word to English word. And this is how it says, above every charge, keep your heart, for out of it are the outgoings of life. Keep your charge over your heart. Keep a charge over your heart. God sets you in charge of one thing, your heart, your heart. You know, a heart can get hard. A heart can get hard. And it was interesting to me when I was looking at a hard heart, the, a hard heart, the word says, is destitute of spiritual perception. They can't, a hard heart can't receive spiritual insight. A hard heart can't receive spiritual insight. And it means a hard heart means a heart that is covered with a callus. You know, in the summertime growing up, we used to do a thing called bucking hay. You no, know, hogs don't eat hay, but we did it anyway. The one horse did, okay? Anyway, so you, you'd buck hay, and then, you know, it didn't matter that you forgot your gloves for the hay field. You still had to work. And in the summertime, you could get calluses right here. So hard that later on you touch that. I don't even feel that. I don't even feel that anymore. You, because it's so calloused. And see, the thing about a hard heart, a hard heart doesn't feel. And we have to understand this. God wants us to feel things. He just doesn't want our feelings to lead us. But he wants us to feel things. He wants us to feel joy. He wants us to feel gladness. He wants us to feel these things. But he doesn't want us to chase those feelings. Right? And what we have to do is keep our heart from being hard and calloused. And um, from experience, I've learned this. That hard-heartedness is caused from fear. It's always caused from fear. The fear of being disappointed. The fear of reliving an experience. The fear of being vulnerable and hurt. The fear of being pained. See, a hard heart is set up to protect but the only problem with all that protection is you do not get the benefit of the feelings from heaven. You don't get the benefit of the joy from heaven when you're hard-hearted. And you can be hard-hearted in a particular area. 
all men are awful. That is spoken from a hard heart, right? All women are crazy. That's spoken from a hard heart that doesn't want to be vulnerable to another man or another woman in life, okay? That's just a hard heart. And God never wants you to live with a hard heart thinking it's safe now because you're lacking spiritual perception. You're lacking understanding that God would want to give you with that hard heart. And it's interesting, the times that God referred to a hard heart was he referred to a hard heart when they didn't understand about fishes and loaves. They didn't understand about the fact that he could feed a multitude with a few. They didn't understand that. He said, why is your heart so hard? I can take care of all business. And they didn't understand that. The other time was with divorce. He said, yeah, Moses permitted you to get a divorce because of your hard heart. There was a lack of spiritual perception in that. Hallelujah. So let's go to Psalms 51. We'll get off that. We just, we just washed right past that, didn't we? Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. He wants us to have a clean heart. He wants us to have a clean heart. Why is that? Because Romans 10.10 tells us, with the heart is what you believe, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. If you don't have a clean heart, it's going to be difficult for you to believe and lay your faith on the promises of God expecting that they're going to come to pass. If you don't have a clean heart, it's going to be difficult for the Lord to use you as you want to be used. Now, the interesting thing back in Psalms 51, when he said, create in me a clean heart, he's not referring to just a washed heart. Because we can come to church and get our heart washed. But he's referring to a clean and noble heart. Okay? See, um, this, this is my wedding ring. My husband gave it to me after we were married 25 years. Hallelujah. And it's made of 14 karat gold. Okay? And I can clean this ring. I can clean this ring and make it really shine and really sparkle. This ring can be clean, but this ring is never pure because in jewelry, most times they use 14 karat gold, right? 14 karat gold is not pure gold. 14 karat gold is 58 point some percent gold and 41% alloy. Because pure gold is too soft. And him knowing me, I would have it no longer be round, but would be oval or a star-shaped if I had pure gold. You understand what I mean? I'd hit it and it'd bend, right? But when God is asking to create in us a clean heart, he's asking for a heart that is not only clean, but is also pure with nothing else mixed into it. No other alloys, because that becomes a hardener that is no longer pliable. God is asking for a pure and clean heart. He's asking for a heart without alloy, that it hasn't pulled along something else to make life livable, but instead it leans entirely and completely on him. Amen. He wants a clean and pure heart. Amen. Hallelujah. So the condition we've seen of our control center, the condition of our heart is what the Lord is looking at. And he is expecting all of us to have a clean heart, a heart that's not only cleaned up, but a heart that is pure. A heart that is honest, noble. A heart that has nothing else mixed into it. 
He's expecting that because that is the heart he wants us to have. All right? So with that said, let's go over to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, what we have here is a parable of Jesus describing the relationship between the word of God and the heart of man. It's a parable that makes the connection between word and heart. Word and heart. And he starts off with the sower sows the word. So what we understand is the word is the seed that's coming forth. Okay, next verse. And it said, and these are the ones, these are the ones, these are the heart conditions by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown into their hearts. So what we see here is the word came and it went into their container. The word came and went to their container, but Satan came immediately and got it out of that container. So that gives me a clue that hearing the word has the uh, benefit of it, gets it into my container. My container. The container of my appetite, my will, my emotions, my passions, my determination, my courage. So when I hear the word, it goes into my container. And the reason it goes into my container is the word is the only thing that can feed your heart or go into your container and make your life right. It's the only thing. Remember, behavior is going to come out of the heart. So we need something pure going into our heart in order to make our heart pure. And the word of God is the only thing that can do that. So that what happens is something goes in. But notice it was sown by the wayside. And the wayside means a highway, a traveled road, the consistent things we always do. And the word comes, but man, this is what we've been doing for 40 years. Who cares about that word? It don't make any difference. Plink. It's gone, has no effect. This is the way I've always thought. This is the way I, we've always done it. This is what we've always believed. That word didn't even get in there to stay. The enemy came and pulled it out. Why? Because it had the potential of changing the way you always do things. It had the potential of changing the way you always have thought. It had the potential of that. And the last thing the devil wants is for you to change and get more purity of heart where God can use you more. So he comes immediately and get that word out of there. That's not for you. That doesn't apply to you. That doesn't make any difference. The preacher doesn't understand your life, though. See, it's the enemy doing that, giving you a thought to get that word out of your heart because that word in your heart has the potential of making your heart clean. If God's going to create in you a clean heart, how's he going to do it? You're going to go to bed one night, say, create me a clean heart, and bam, bam, boom, bang. The morning you wake up and your heart's all clean. Well, your mercy, the mercies are fresh every day. But he's going to take it through a process of cleansing. Hallelujah. And the enemy doesn't want that to come in. In the book of Matthew, the same parable, it says they lacked understanding. Meaning they cannot connect their life with the necessity of that word and perception and understanding came because what understanding is is a blending of information and wisdom and clarity on how to use it and see what happens is the enemy says that word isn't for you well that doesn't imply because to you because of the person you're married to you know it, the enemy can talk us out of a word that is vital for our heart. He can talk us out of a word that's vital and necessary for our heart. He doesn't, the enemy does not want the word to stick because he says 
if that word sticks, um, that we will believe and be saved. Saved, meaning to be kept safe, sound, rescued from danger or destruction. The enemy does not like the thought that God is always willing to rescue you because the enemy is unrescuable. And he doesn't like the thought that humanity is set up that at any moment of any time, God will rescue them. Hallelujah. And so what happens is in this particular condition of a heart, there's a casualness about the word sown and a disqualifying so that it doesn't get in the heart. See, because we got this container. This is where we can believe God from. We've got this container that has the ability to have wicked things coming out of it. We've got this container that controls our appetites, our desires, our emotions. And the last thing the enemy wants is for your container to be completely clean with only good in it. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's go on to the next next, uh, verse then. You remember where we're at there, Kel? These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, Stony hearts, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Back up now. Those the ones were the ones that received the word. So they also heard it, and they let it go into their container. And they were happy about it. They were glad about it. It was the next best thing to sliced bread. Yay, word. Yay, preacher. It's awesome. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. It's life-changing. It's going to be different. Everything now is answered in my life. Hip, hip, hooray. Okay? Okay? So, but then what happens is this sowing that was done was stoned on a hard place. And they were glad because it was their answer, but it was stony so it could get no roots in it. Amen? It couldn't get down in there. And so what happened is they endure for a time. They endure... And that word endure literally means to be consist, to consist, remain, or be. So they were consistent with it for a time. Now, I got to thinking about this times because it's, it means a season or a moment or a span of time. And when you think about it, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years in the word of God, it says. Now, I'm not saying that. That is literal, you know, a thousand years a day and a day is a th- you know what I'm saying? I think that means partly is that there is no measurement of time in the spirit realm. Um, and so we need to understand that. But your entire life on the earth, your entire life, even if you live to be a hundred years old, would seem like 10 minutes in heaven. Only 10 minutes in heaven. So how long do you have to endure when the word is gone into you to not let it get stolen? I'd say your whole life. Your whole life. You know, it's not just a seasonal thing. But look at this. He said, when tribulation or persecution, the book of Luke in this one says a time of temptation. And it says that that comes For the word's sake. It's not coming because you're a believer. It's coming because it knows the word that was made available to your container. And it says that it's tribulation or persecution. Tribulation meaning pressure. Distress. Affliction. Oppressing together oppression. Now listen to this. What persecution is. This becomes very important. Persecution is ill treatment or hostility because of one's belief. Now, so we can understand that we might have persecution or pressure 
but the intent of the persecution or pressure is get that word out of your container. Now, let's think of this. All pressure is to get that word out of your container. All pressure is to get that word out of your container. Tribulation is to get that word out of your container. Well, I heard the pastor say this, but this is what's happening. He don't know. He don't understand. No, the problem is not in the word. The problem is cowering to the pressure and the tribulation. Now look at this. It says because of that, they stumble or they fall away, withdraw. But here's the interesting thing. We're talking about what tribulation and persecution has, and it says they stumble. The literal translation is they become offended. Offense comes out of what somebody said or what didn't work. Most offense comes out of what somebody said or it didn't work. And we want to blame the circumstance. We want to blame what God didn't do. We want to blame what they said. I believe they were different than that. I thought they loved me. I thought they cared about me. And we want to blame it on all that. The blame is you don't have any roots. You don't have roots deep enough in God to help you recover from pressure and what others are saying. You don't have enough root. You're not going deep enough in spiritual things that allow you to recover regardless of what's happening or what anybody is saying. Now, the beautiful thing about that is this. Somebody is always going to say something. Trouble is always going to be there. But the beautiful part of this is I can get deep enough roots that it doesn't have effect on me without instead developing a hard heart that I just won't feel it. If I will dig deep in the word, then the word will say, pray for those who spitefully use you. And that compassion will stir up. And the glory of God can fill that relationship. And they can have a change. And something is modified and something is worked. But if you're going to go, I'm just not going to be with them. Now what you've done is you've hardened your heart instead of gotten rooted deeper. And now you're going to be past feeling and lacking spiritual perception in other areas of your life. Are you understand what I'm saying? That's why he follows up, persecution will make you stumble. It's because persecution will make you be offended. Persecution and pressure makes you be offended. The, one of the biggest things we have to deal with is the fact that people shouldn't be offended with God. It's interesting how we think we prayed one prayer and God owes us everything we have asked for without ever walking with him or listening to his voice. It's always beyond me. It's like um, God doesn't owe us anything. He paid for everything. You know, God doesn't owe us to answer. He chooses to answer. You know, he chooses to answer. We are the clay. He is the potter, right? And the beautiful thing is the more you walk into God, you realize all he has is good for you. And he has good beyond what you can manipulate. We want to maneuver our own good in life. God's got your good in life if you'll just yield it all to him. Amen? But again, this is about keeping our heart clean. An offended heart is not clean. An offended heart is not clean. And that word is going in there with the intent to make us clean. But if we don't guard it, no, I refuse to feel that pressure. I refuse to be offended. I refuse for that to have an effect on me. If we don't do that, our heart gets contaminated and we don't have a clean heart. Amen? Hallelujah. Because the word is coming to make our heart clean. So we have a heart 
that was on the wayside, casualness, not clean. We had a heart uh, that was sown on stony ground, not clean. And the last one we're going to, well, not the last one. The next one we're going to talk about is the next verse. So if you go on to this, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, one thing I want to notice first, do you notice that it becomes unfruitful? The word never comes to you void of being able to produce. Never does. It never comes to you void of production. It never comes to you void of reproductive ability. The word never comes to you that way. But there is things that make it that way. And it's an unclean heart again. And he gives three things. He said the cares of this world. Care. Anxieties. It literally means distractions. Hallelujah. To be drawn in different directions. To be drawn in different directions. The enemy is wanting you to get caught up with the cares of this world. The cares of this world. It's interesting that um, we live in this world and we have so many things going on in this world, but we have to understand God is never contrary to what's necessary in life. Let me say that again. God is never contrary to what's necessary in life. God is never contrary to what's necessary in life. But we need to understand this. But he wants to be the Lord over what's necessary in life so that we have the best life possible. He's never contrary to it. But what happens is we go to live life without his leading, without his instruction, without it, and then it becomes a care that we carry and we've lost the effect of the word in our heart and our heart's not even clean. We're not able to bring fruit to full maturity. We're not able to bring to maturity what God intended our life to bring forth. Because care has worn us down. Well, I have this routine. I have this and 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 I have this. Just a minute. Where is the leading of the Lord right now in all this stuff? Because your is choking the word in your life. It's choking it. Literally means to suffocate it. Now, get that in your heart. God is never contrary to what's necessary in life. He just wants to be the commander of it. He just wants to be the commander of those things necessary. It goes on to talk about the next one is deceitfulness of riches. The lusts and the cravings, the excitement of abundance. Um, and the thing about deceit is it's the practice of leading by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Every commercial does that. If you get this car, you get this woman in a bikini too. If you drink this, it's going to make you feel like this. Every commercial you see is a misleading. It's a deceitfulness. It's a deceitfulness. Now, you think we would understand that riches doesn't make somebody happy. And we all agree with that. Or else the richest people would be the happiest people. If we would get that figured out in our head. No, it's not more stuff. It's not having enough and more than enough. It's not all about that. There is a container of the heart 
that God is looking at and he's not looking in your garage. He's not looking on the outward appearance. He's looking on your heart. Is your heart for me? Because if your heart is for me, all these things shall be added to you. See, he's looking on the heart. Hallelujah. Never, never give up God's stuff for money. Never give up God time for money. Because time, once it's gone, is gone forever. Your money you can regain. Never. Do I have to use my big mom voice? Never. Give up God time for money. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Thinking you have to chase it, pursue it, and have it more than you need God. Amen. Okay. Then the next thing is desires for other things. Things other than what? The word, God. We can get it when we read it, right? The desires for other things. Anything else that's not of God chokes the word. I don't care if it's the shopping day on Black Friday. It's choking the word. It is. It just has that. And you have to be led by God because then if you go Black Friday shopping, led by God then you've got the word of God for the day. But if you do it with just supposition, you don't have the word. So there's nothing filling your heart. So it's not just about this word. It's this word. It's that personal word. Because a desire for something else is set up to choke and suffocate the word that you can't receive. This is an unclean heart. You know, it's like this. I'll be really quick because I see you at the time. It's like this. If I planted a seed in here, the chances of it growing to maturity is really slim. And a lot of times we do this like this is the word, and we plant the seed of the word in there, hoping that it's tougher and stronger than all this stuff. That's not the way it works, people, because this is your heart. This is your heart, and you've determined to allow this stuff in. So as long as you've determined to allow this stuff in, and then you go and try and plant the heart, that seed will not produce until you start doing this and cutting away all the other things. And it's amazing to me. It says it entered in. It doesn't matter how long you had good ground, but you could be late in life, and start having these things happen. And you need to go back and cut it away. I have realized that one of the things about Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus always had a clean heart. Does anybody want to argue with that? Jesus always had a clean heart. That heart that would produce. You know, that heart that would be noble, that heart that was pure. He always had a clean heart. And um, the interesting thing about it is the thing he did, because you know what? He encountered people like you and me. He encountered some of the same kind of people you and I encounter. He encountered all that. Jesus encountered people that, I want food now. He encountered people like, can you believe what they said? He even dealt with family. He encountered all of it. All the things that we are tempted with that want to become this. All of that stuff he encountered. It's interesting. At one time, he said, my mother and my brother, my family are the ones that do the will of God and keep it. And so they felt kind of shunned. But yet at the crucifixion, he said, mother, there's your son. Son, there's your mother giving him to John the Baptist. So the only thing I can understand is he knew perfect leading of where family belonged at all the time, okay? He had perfect leading, you know, and we want to have this clean heart. A clean heart, as it goes on there, um, next verse 20, it said, these are ones sown on good ground. These are the ones with a good heart. They hear the word, they accept the word, 
and they bear fruit with that word. They don't bear fruit with the work of their hands. They bear fruit with the work, work of the word. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And it says that, um, uh, that in another place, it says that they bear fruit with patience, consistency. Okay? And so it's about getting that word in us. Jesus had a clean heart because he spent time with the Father. The older I get in the Lord, the more I realize that my private prayer time is not about shaking the world. It's about changing me. And if it will change me, then I can come together with other prayers and we can shake the world. But my prayer time is about changing me. Um, and I want to close with this about putting things in your heart. Because um, th uh, this is a scientific worldly proof that they have. But this is what they say. A person retains only 10% of what they read. So you sit down to read the word. I'm reading my chapter today and I read the word. When you walk out and tomorrow, you'll only retain 10% of that. Okay? The next one, it says that you retain 20% of what you hear. You hear something. Okay? You hear the news and you read the word. You're going to retain 10% of the word and 20% of the news. Because you retain 20% of what you hear. You retain 30% of what you see. That's why video has become so popular. Because you retain 30% of everything you see. Okay? Well, that isn't very good for an eyewitness. Yeah, you saw that, but 30% of it is all that we can count on, right? But you retain 50% of what you see and hear. 50% of what you see and hear. But listen to this. You retain in your heart 70% of what you say. 70% of what you say. So we should be talking the word because we, we only retain 10% of what we read. But if I'll say it, now I'm retaining 70% of it. Okay? But you retain 90% of what you do. So if you take this word and read it only, you're only retaining 10%. Only that much is getting in the heart. If you'll hear it too, 20% will go in. If you'll see it, if you'll see it, if you'll allow your imagination and meditation to go off, then you're seeing it, you're hearing it, and then you're retaining more and more all the time. And then I start talking about it. And so then at 70%, it doesn't say you have to talk to somebody else. Just talk to yourself. Because why? I don't want to be offended. I don't want to give in to anything in my container. But 90% of what I do, so if I practice forgiveness, I'm, re I'm retaining 90% of it. But then you retain 95% of everything you teach. Go tell somebody else. Help somebody else so you retain this in you. Because the idea is to have a clean heart where God is looking at you that you can believe with your heart and receive all the promises of God. Amen? Did you get something here today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you want a clean heart? If you want a clean heart, then we've got to be wise and understanding that the devil is after our heart and we have to guard and keep it. Don't let, don't let the enemy take the word and casualness. Make sure we grow and get roots so that tribulation and persecution doesn't knock us away. You know, watch for the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things getting in there because it's come with one mandate, choke the word. It doesn't matter if you've been fruitful for 40 years. You, you want to be fruitful for the next 40 years, right? Amen. Have a clean and pure heart, a heart that is soft and pliable for the Lord. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet and we'll pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, 
head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Word of Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.